Okay, so welcome back to Cracks in Postmodernity. We have Ryan Travanko, who I met on Instagram a couple months ago now, and we've been talking back and forth. I came to one of your uh, plays, and um, we're going to talk about James Dean and James Franco today. But before we do that, tell us tell us some of your background so people can get to know you better. Uh, yeah, I'm Ryan. Um, from I'm an actor and a filmmaker in New York, and originally from the Midwest and I traveled around a lot. I started my career in Chicago and then I went to Atlanta and then I moved to New York five years ago and uh, I fucking love it here. And mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot of, uh, I started doing stuff on stage, but the past seven or eight years, it's been a ton of TV and mm -hmm. some film. Uh, but then in my own personal artistic life, I make uh, films, I've, I've made about a dozen short films i just i just completed one and recently i started this group called adult film which mm -hmm. focuses on theatrical performances and film screenings and lots of other things and it's, it's really just a platform for artists to uh get share and get stuff seen and it's uh the the play that you were referring to um mm -hmm. our first big event was this <clears throat> immersive theater performances uh, across an apartment. And, and now we're getting ready to do a, a big film and theater festival this summer. So uh, that's, anyway, I teach acting and um, that's it. Acting, acting, acting. Yep. Life. That's the life. So speaking of acting, let's start with James Franco because there's a lot to say. Um, so yeah, I was just telling you that I, I was probably a senior in high school when I first became conscious of James Franco. And it just was quickly very captivated, um, ended up ordering all of his movies on Netflix back when they had the DVDs before the streaming services. And I, I couldn't articulate what it was that was so captivating. Um, in retrospect, now I have a lot to say, but see, so yeah, I watched all his movies. I remember when Palo Alto came out, I was a freshman. Yeah. And then I went to his book signing. They had it at Barnes and Noble in the village. And I went and I met him and it was just really surreal. But um, no, ever since then, and I guess that was like, what, 10-ish years ago, 12 years ago, he's done a lot. So there's a lot to say. So tell, I, you, yeah, tell me your initial thoughts on him. My, my history for James Franco. Well, I'll tell you my, my history with him first. Uh, uh, I too, I don't know when I became aware of him, probably just watching like Spider-Man and stuff when I was like mm -hmm. 15, 13 or something like that. And, um, but then <clears throat> when he started getting into all the performance arts and the filmmaking and the and the weirder stuff, that's when I, I was really, he was a big like role model for me in my twenties when I was kind of starting to get, I didn't put it into practice until until later on, but getting, having kind of like an example of someone that's expanding just beyond um, strictly mm -hmm. acting. And, um, but I was really into him and I like, I was, I was living in Chicago and uh, I was seeing a play at the Goodman. I think he was doing um, of Mice and Men okay. there. Was it Goodman or Steppenwolf? No, he was doing Of Mice and Men and Steppenwolf and I was at the Goodman. And I saw him at the Goodman and I was just like, hey, I, I think I like grabbed him and like turned <laughs> him around or something. I was like, I love your work, you know. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Like, smile, whatever. And then a uh, little like years later, I auditioned for an episode of The Deuce mm. and I booked it and he was the director. So wow. I got to spend a day on set with him and uh, – him and <clears throat> Maggie Gyllenhaal and David Krumholtz. And I fucking loved The Deuce so much. I, that's one of my favorite shows that they're mm -hmm. ever in. And um, I loved him playing twins in it. And he was he was great to work with on set. So that was that was 
um, wow. surreal for me, definitely, definitely. So. What was it like interacting with him though on that level? Uh, well, you know, um, it, it wasn't like super intimate. You know, he's doing a ton of shit. He's directing the thing, yeah. and the kind of the nature of the set is like you really only you're really kind of only interacting with the director like when you're up and it's time to yeah. do a take or rehearse or something. Otherwise, you're you mostly you're talking to the other actors. But he was really personable and uh, super complimentary and. We, you know, we did a lot of like improv on some things and he, he was throwing shit around and trying stuff and uh, he looks great. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was great. It was, it was, it was cool. <clears throat> okay. So you got that first hand experience with him. So, yeah. So what are your, some of your thoughts on just his like his public image, his persona? Because there's just so much going on there. Well, you know, I think there was, there's a couple of, you know, stages. There's the first stage of standard uh james dean mold um doing pretty commercial movies and then he's you know around 2010 or whatever he started when he was started getting like five graduate degrees at one time and yeah. popping up in all these strange places and doing performance art i, th I thought things got really really interesting I, I don't think he's the um i i admire him as an actor i don't think he's the, like the one of the great actors but i think he's one of the great what is it like a renaissance mat or something i mean i think he's i think he's a person i think very few celebrities who have his level of fame and financial freedom use their time and resources to like literally just obsessively educate and better better themselves in that way like there's is there any other star who ever did anything like that probably not i mean i agree that he's not one of the greatest actors but i do think he's one of the greatest performance artists no, I, I agree oh, i absolutely agree yeah like that's what he specializes in and acting is his main medium yes um and then there's the the phase after that which is post me too yeah so which know. i think is part of the performance art i have to say oh uh, yeah expand um we'll get into that we'll, we'll get into that let's get to the let's go to the basics first and then that like the late phase franco but for me so i think what captivated me so much in the beginning was that as a performance artist like I think his whole mission is this, what I perceive to be like a very postmodern style meta commentary on truth as something elusive. Truth is something that we can't fully grasp. And that's kind of, I don't know, fluid, kind of liquid all over the place. Um, he forces you to really call into question some of so many of the social, I don't know, categories, norms that we have, whether it's about acting, whether it's about reality itself, like what's real from what's not, um, gender, um all these things but especially for me this like this notion of the spectacle like things that get people's attention that may not have any substance at all and yet they're alluring yet they draw your attention and you can't stop looking and i think you see that from the fact that he's doing all these things at once these grad programs stage plays movies tv shows he's on instagram now he's on you know his name is coming up with amber heard and johnny depp and then oh yeah and it's like he's <laughs> all over the place and you can't stop looking but like but what exactly is he you don't know and i think that's the meta commentary on what is truth what is reality yeah uh, i think i think likening him more to i think he's more like andy warhol than any yeah. other any other figure i didn't think of that but that's super accurate yeah because you know i just watched the the andy warhol diaries thing on mm -hmm. netflix and you know I really did like learning about Warhol's personal life. I really didn't like the yassification treatment mm -hmm. of it. I didn't like 
cutting to this like mousy girl every five yeah. minutes talking about trauma <laughs> it's like come on man like these yeah. guys are crazy these guys were nuts like I, yeah. trauma, like come on it's it's anyway but uh it's, it's so the whole thing was like a major to me was like majorly applying today's whatever you call it trends standards whatever retroactively and i really i really don't like when people do that but um you know i what I got from the documentary was that sense of like the total self as performance. Mm -hmm. And um, he really, I think what Franco did with it was even more radical because he, he, you know, in everyone's perception, he was this relatively straightforward, you know, hot guy, actor, pretty boy, whatever. And, and then he just complete from within that it's, there's like, six layers of like meta commentary yes. on on that so um yeah i think he's a real art yeah and you know, now that you mentioned warhol like i definitely do think there is a camp kind of vibe going on because it's um i mean camp has a lot to do with performance art in general but just the fact that it's this ironic paradoxical commentary on again on the self on reality on truth that um makes you think about like again what is artificial what is a deception versus what is true what is real and all this stuff that he's doing again it's like is he just this pretty boy actor is he you know is he a scholar is he is he a rapist like what, yeah. what is he you know um it, it also when he was in the before the me too stuff and when he was kind of in the the height of all of that it also reminded me of uh, like another touchstone for that for me is early lana mm -hmm. and because i really feel like when like Lana was like the image. It was like it was like Marlena Dietrich or Garbo. It was the image. And since since then, in her career and self representation, whatever, Lana has let us see, you know, like the down to earth her. Like that's where her music and her public persona has gone. So she's much more personal now. But uh, when she was starting out, it re remember how people were like it's a fake name mm -hmm. like is she from a trailer park or is she rich like how dare someone invent a mythology around themselves and you know i think with her in that period and with uh franco like a lot of the like the ceaseless what the fuck that kind of energy that people had about it or like um i think it was i, I think anytime someone really expands the mold people get get really scared and 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 super critical so i think to have a celebrity of james franco's like uh stature to play with the public so much i think they got really resentful of him and wanted to punish him for being you know not just an avatar on which they could project things because if your avatar is doing this weird fucking shit what does that say about you so they wanted to i think they wanted to keep the like the clean pretty boy commercial film um zeitgeisty type thing and then when he started going against that uh that's when the the like anger and like ill will started and that's what i mean speaking of camp you also see that with people like oscar wilde who was doing something oh. very similar you know and then the public is fascinated by him again the sense of the spectacle this um ironic commentary on english society at the turn of the century and then they got pissed off with him so they punished him you know they make they humiliate yeah, you right yeah i didn't right. think of that until now there's definitely a parallel with wild wow yeah but so I'm, I'm thinking about one of the first like feature articles i read about him when i was a freshman was in the new yorker 
And this guy follows him to NYU or to wherever he was doing one of his grad programs, one of his many grad programs. And he, the author, the interviewer poses these questions. He says, um, uh, first is, can James Franco possibly be for real? If he is, then just logistically, how is this all possible? And perhaps the biggest mystery of all, why is Franco doing it? Are his motives honest or dishonest, neurotic or healthy, arrogant or humble, ironic or sincere? Um, should we reward him with our attention or punish him with our contempt? Is he genuinely trying to improve himself or is he messing with us using celebrity itself as the raw material for some kind of public prank? I think this is awesome. Yeah, I think that like gets at the like, you know, because in a world that's so, um, I, I feel like he's commented like the extending celebrity into those places is like really stretching like the emptiness of the the idol or the icon or the, you know, um, I mean, which is what Warhol does when he like gets the Maryland trip text and you know, all, all that shit. But um, yeah, it's like, I, I, you know, if I was at that position of fame and money and, you know, <clears throat> the opportunity to basically do whatever project I wanted, whether it was personal or uh, from a studio or something like that, it's like, mm -hmm. that's really, um, it's going really far out there to the edges of like human, uh, I mean, could you just imagine being that rich and being that famous and, and um, I think all of his actions like the naive naive or sophisticated the neurotic or how it's like he's commenting on like how stupid it is that we worship celebrities and some you know it's also like, could yeah i mean i definitely think it's the emptiness of celebrity culture but also how, how ultimately like meaningless it, it is yeah i mean the absurdity of it all um that's definitely a big theme you see but also i wonder if it's like a critique of elites being you know being free to do whatever the hell they want without any commitment to anything that's substantial that's you know without commitment to anything that's true that's lasting maybe it's him critiquing his own class um, yeah. now you know like real real artists who don't have these kind of elite connections don't have the freedom to really experiment with their art forms or do not i don't know yeah. it's like this uprooting of the elites to just flow wherever um hmm. but it doesn't mean anything like is, is it all just empty having all this money and all these resources yeah, I don't think it means, I mean, maybe he's, what it seems like he's getting at to me is that it doesn't mean anything other than you're alive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what do you, like, when you look at, first of all, he's done, like, so many movies, I, I've lost count, but the range of movies, the kinds of movies, like, it's really all over the place. You know, like, you have these corny movies, like, I don't want to say corny, but, like, basic movies like Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and then you have like, a, you know, the Judd Apatow, because Pineapple Express is Judd Apatow, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have that, then you have the gay movies, you have these weird avant-garde ones. Like, it's really such a range. Why though? Like, why won't he just stick with in one lane? I, yeah, I grew up watching all the, the Spider-Man and the whatever, the reruns of Eat, Pray, Love or whatever on Showtime yeah. or something like that. And then I was, I was a huge stoner in college and I was, uh, my friends and I went to see, I think we went to see Pineapple, Pineapple Express like five times. Wow. And um, I was just really obsessed with that movie. <laughs> um, I don't know why. That was like when Apatow was like really new and, and fresh. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Apatow. Anyway, uh, but you know, and then in terms of the acting, like 127 hours is a fucking great performance. That was grueling. That was a really great performance. And, um, and I mean, he's great. He's he's really good in the the disaster artist too. And um, you know, I love I love Spring Breakers. Why? Uh, because it had that new. It was like you know that was like the beginning of the of like the big 
a24 thing and like it hadn't it was new it was like a new a new vibe and it wasn't so you know comment commenting on itself endlessly repeating the formula endless now it's like a24 has a look just like netflix has a look just like you know it's so uh packaged and like laughable in a way now but spring breakers was like what the fuck is this Explain A twenty four to me because people have tried and I still don't fully get what the. It's like um, I f it's like a, a it's a studio that people used to think of as like the, the it's like a big quote unquote independent film studio, which is really just a, a which is really just studio films. Um, and I feel like ten years ago it was very like this is where the cutting edge art films that aren't so arty that no one knows about them, but are kind of in the in the popular consciousness like that's that's where those films came from but now 10 years later it's like they keep doing it's always like poverty porn or some like it's like poverty porn or like hereditary over and over or like these like gruesome hipster horror films so uh i don't know i feel like it kind of like collapsed in on itself in some way so so it's just like kind of a joke a joke now but even though yeah. they still i mean they still make great they still make good stuff but like it's just so ubiquitous now that it might as well be netflix or something mm -hmm. um interesting yeah because uh, i mean i couldn't bring myself to watch spring breakers i don't have the stomach for why it. <laughs> mm, freaks me out it was so i mean it was that king cobra i couldn't watch go i found out about recently but like they're these kind of dystopian psychosexual peony it's um it's about like frats and hazing and mick jonas is in it but it's like yeah it's like the dystopian sexual kind of teen vibe that i'm just like this is going somewhere that i i don't know i think it's perhaps a commentary on like the fringes of our sex drive this uh the kind of absurdism that we can reach if we just like I don't know. I mean, I don't watch them, so I can't really say much. But I yeah, think but all of them that's, there, sure. That, that's that's great. Like he does do a lot of stuff about the. Uh, I'm just like no one is so obsessed about the fringes of their sex drive as he mm -hmm. is. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. And the destructiveness of it. I mean, this you know we can look at Palio, we can look at Freud. That like the sex drive is ultimately very much tied to violence, to death. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something there with like this fascination with, you know late teens early 20s college kids and their sexuality and how i don't know this kind of free spirit sexual revolution spirit like is very alluring but at a certain point you hit this wall and you realize like it's dangerous it's risky um well yeah uh, i thought it was interesting i think in that new york article they were like talking about palo alto or these other films that he's yeah. directed or whatever and they're they kind of like viewed it through the lens of him having a thing about like prolonged adolescence yeah and that he was trying to like work through it through that stuff and i think that's uh, yeah i think that's really that makes sense because um you know i would not make them like on the list of things that i would make a movie about i don't give a fuck about anyone under 27 <laughs> i wouldn't make a movie about 17 year olds you know what i mean yeah. it's just not like i don't really watch movies about i mean sometimes but not not totally but like i'm not really intrigued by movies about teenagers i'm not really intrigued by like teen mu music you know um mm -hmm. it was interesting that he chose those subjects like like in um well he didn't make palo alto gia coppola made palo alto yeah. he wrote, he he wrote, wrote the book, yeah. um that's that's interesting that he's like kind of fixated on it 
Yeah, so I think the like eternal youth thing definitely ties into James Dean. Yes. Because that's um I think that's the Adonis archetype, the eternally young, beautiful male who dies before aging. And we see that in Dorian Gray as well. well you know? The thing about prolonged adolescence that was you know, the thing about a thirty plus man making something about prolonged adolescence, that's what is interesting to me because um this film that I just made, mm -hmm. uh, it's called Last Call and um we're editing it and um it's about like a, a hustler that's what they used to call sex workers yes um uh a hustler who's um has like a, has a james dean obsession and um but he's also sort of uh looking for a a father and some sense of uh, closure in that and um the the journey of the i mean i'm not really giving it away but like the journey of the character is like you know my, my screenwriter wrote it and i was like that's cool that this guy's obsessed with James Dean, but like I'm 33 and James Dean died when he was 24. Like, mm -hmm. you know, isn't it a little, uh, you know, strange. And mm -hmm. but then I, I took that sort of, um, strange feeling about that and put that into the character and was like, this guy can't grow up. Mm -hmm. He's like holding on to this, this James Dean thing, even though he's like aged out of it. Yeah. Um, so the film's just kind of like him, him working through that through, sex through daddy role play through all this kind of kind of stuff so i think I, the 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 statement of the film is like how do you accept your inner father and become mm -hmm. a real adult interesting and, and 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 sacrifice that ideal of of youth um so i think that's kind of what he's i think that's what he's getting at in in creating some of this stuff and that's what I did with this film, even though I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was doing when I started, but. Wow. Yeah. Cause it seems like James Franco is like dead set on not um, allowing that fascination to evolve. Cause what you're saying, it's like, that's a healthy evolution from being, you know, obsessed with the cult of youth, yeah. but then recognizing, okay, but within that fascination is my own call. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, then I'm going to die, but that I have the capacity to be a father that I could, you know, yeah. foster someone else's youth that I could offer something to them but i mean his whole career seems like obsession with this to the point that it becomes super perverse and dangerous and like I, he says it himself that he's really fascinated by um the like obscuring of boundaries of perception he talks about it when he talks about his sexuality that he says you know i'm gay until the point of intercourse penetration that you know i'm gay in my art history in real life which um, like who knows if that's he's just saying so you know what i mean it's like he could yeah, have i mean i don't think he like well this is the other thing in this this playboy interview he did a while ago he mentions this book um gay new york oh yeah yeah, yeah. i've read i've read that before so in the book it talks about what like the 20s and back then when you had like the uh what do you call it? like trade like the um, i forget what all the terms were but yeah no like you your sexuality is not determined by who you yeah had sex with it's the position you took so like again perception who decides what category you are where are the boundaries that's his fascination this um i think it was in the new yorker as the article as well they talk about this this queer man that mentored franco mm -hmm. and he he wrote some book and in the book queer is like dude the word queer i'm just like oh my god it makes me want to like <laughs> puke <laughs> i used to like i used to like the word and um and I always thought of it for myself as a sense, well, th this author that Franco was mentored by defines queerness as against the normal rather than the heterosexual. Mm 
Yeah. And this is my problem. I see people posting every time, you know, it's like, I don't know, something came out the other, an article in the New York Times came out the other day where like, it's like now straight people are trying, you know, uh, girls are trying poppers and a bunch of people, you know, I saw the usual reposts of it and saying like, straight people ruin everything. <laughs> I'm just like, so is your entire existence like against straightness? I don't understand. Oh, I, that's why I do think there's value in what he's doing, because it makes us question, well, what, who draws up these categories? Like, what is the basis? You know, like, it really makes you think. Uh, it's, it's, it just, it just drives me nuts because like, by, it's like contradicting itself twice when someone does, because I'm like, you're not only like, you're, what am I trying to say? It's like, first off, straight people ruin everything like how do you know that person is straight how do, what is straight like how do you know this person is what what are they maybe they're six percent gay or whatever i don't know it's yeah. like so i'm like you're at this at the same time that you're demanding that people accept and f accept you for what you are and free you of a category you're also categorizing people in the same moment and like that's coming yeah. from like a place of that's coming from a place of like freedom from like freedom from all my trauma and everyone that hurt me and everyone that made me feel terrible for being gay growing up rather opposed as opposed to like freedom to which yeah. is an active positive way of being and relating to other people that doesn't come from a place of lack it comes from a place yeah. of like curiosity and love and i think that's you know i think with all of his like it was so when, when I was like 25 and still being like, am I bisexual? Am I gay? Am I, am I, am I queer? Am I that, you know, all of this stuff, like, which like, I guess I'm bisexual, I guess that's, and I used to like the word queer, but I don't now. Um, and now it's so boring to even think about what I am. That, but anyway, but in my twenties, I was incredibly inspired by what he was doing. Cause I was like, oh my, oh my God, hmm. like this guy's like, uh, it's archetype. It's kind of like arch, archetype. It's like a sort of like bisexual, yeah, which is Dean's whole vibe. But, yeah, like, totally. but it's um then this makes you go further in question, but like who is the self? Like who determines what myself is? Like is myself or what I conceive the categories I use to conceive of myself, like is this all a performance? Is this all just a response to like creating a social kind of persona? Um, or is this really me? How do I know? Um, this is what I think is like the genius. And also the danger of postmodern thought in general that like it can just call everything into question and make everything totally vapid and empty it's just yeah. like a blob of nothing or it can make you go deeper and deeper like okay but is there something true at the core of these questions like can i know the true self or is it all purely performance and deception is it all nothingness i think the um i think the gay in my art straight in my life thing i think that's what paglia talks about when she says like the world needs a, a bisexual responsiveness yes. like i think even if he is, you know, even if he doesn't have more than like the most minute actual sexual attraction to men, the willingness to the the longing, the calling, like to 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 play with that in his persona and self and everything, like there's there's something so great about that, and that's what you know, relatively straight. The, the, the world would be a better place if relatively straight people did have that curiosity and also the reverse i'm like gay people need to be have more of a bisexual responsiveness because you're literally like demonizing straight people i'm like you came from two straight people yeah guys like, yeah and um, again it's like what are these categories even like what is their basis they don't there's such a flimsy foundation you know so so i think yeah like that's one of the 
the things that we get from his whole persona. The other side of this though, where again, like he's fascinated with perception, with categories, boundaries, is when we're talking about consent and this has gotten him into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's why I'm saying it's like, I see this resistance to allowing this curiosity, this whatever to mature into a real, I don't know, like a, a mature position. Like he has allowed himself to get caught up with minors and to like not acknowledge, you know, like he said when with the 17 year old accusing him of like assaulting her, he admitted to DMing her and he was like, look, like she said she was 17. I acknowledged it. But like, if this girl likes me and wants to talk to me and she's consenting, then like, what's the problem? Yeah. You know, I mean, but like, what is consent? What constitutes, constitutes consent? What constitutes desire and attraction? You know, whether or not, whether or not it's like morally wrong or something, I, I, again, personally, I'm like, I would, I do not know how you could entertain a 17 year old in a, <laughs> a sexual man. I just like find people under 25, like physically, emotionally, intellectually for, for the most part. But I, I find a lot of people below that age. I'm just not into it. I, li I like the fully, I like a fully formed like man or woman, um, you know, I don't kind of the, the, like, you know, the, the bone structure and the sinewiness that you get when you're a little older and the, 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 the facial, uh, marks and wrinkles. I, I'm just, I, I'm really intrigued by that. I, I would never, I don't know why he would, um, it, knowing, yeah, knowing the consequences and him being such a huge star, I don't know why he would engage with someone who is questionably seven, you know, 17 or 18 or what. I, I, I don't really personally understand that, but, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I just think like, again, this, this very postmodern sensibility of everything being fluid, everything being about perception and calling things into question. Like, again, it's valuable, but you hit a wall at a certain point where it starts to become dangerous. No, right? totally. I mean, like, it's not to say like, I'm like, hey, a 17 year old has a fucking sexuality, you know, like, come on, yeah. let's not be silly. Um, but yeah, it can definitely get you into trouble. Um, you know, and then this, and then the assault stuff with um, the stuff that happened at his school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's really not great. That's not great. I think he, I don't know what he did. He like, he like screamed at some girls to get naked or tried to make them do uh, actual sexual acts or something while they were filming a project or something like that. But, you know, in terms of that, I'm just like, that's, yeah, it goes right along with what you're saying, like the getting dangerous. You're, you're so famous and you're going so far out on a limb of experimenting of what is humanity, what is boundaries that, yeah, you start thinking behavior like that is acceptable or that it's um not acceptable but uh i don't know justifiable or something it's not it's it's that's totally wrong but then on the other end of it it's like okay he's basically lost some kind of a career because of it he has done a multi-million dollar settlement mm -hmm. with the with the the accusers and you know he's been shamed by countless millions of people like i think that's enough punishment yeah and it's like does that the thing with the 17 year old and the the uh, the actions while he was filming this stuff like does that cancel out every other thing he's done in his life you know mm -hmm. like, so yeah i mean so this the fact that um so his celebrity his fame can go as far from um i don't know like it goes all the way to the fringes of like public scandal that like is this why he's doing this? Is it because he wants to take his fame all the way to those fringes? 
and see, will he still be getting attention? And the reason why I say this is because, so he wrote this essay for the New York Times about his selfies on Instagram. And it's super telling because he's saying, you know, I take selfies because this is the only way to get people's attention now. And the attention, and attention is the only way to have power. Um, so it's like, he's experimenting to see what do I have to do to get attention? So you think that was part of that stuff was part of the experiment experimentation? Yeah, I, I think it's like he has this fascination with again perception, fame, celebrity. Um, what does it take to get people's attention? Um, he's like, when I post a picture of you know something I wrote or a place a place I traveled to, I don't get that many likes. When I post a selfie of me in bed, me shirtless, me with Seth Rogen, I get a lot of likes. He's like, well, if attention is power in this industry, then that's what I'm going to do. But I think, again, the dark side of this is, well, if I create these public scandals, I go all the way to the fringes of what's considered normal, will people still look at me? Um, so perhaps these public scandals are a success uh, for him. But even, I mean, and as crazy as that is, I think, again, this forces us to call into question, like, what is this celebrity culture that we've created that we give attention to people who one, lack substance or totally vapid, but also who do absurd, violent, totally perverse things so like again he not only wins the attention for himself but he's the one who's like forcing us to ask the questions he's the one who's like i don't know it's it's a lot i think it was interesting that he wrote that article like that article's from 2013 right mm -hmm. when did yeah. selfie stuff i didn't get instagram until like 2016 or something so i i wasn't i missed that whole beginning of that but um i, I thought the the way he was writing about the selfie when it was still kind of like, can you believe that people just take pictures of themselves? It's just like, it kind of precipitated his actions and the things he was doing with his, uh, with the drag. And it's like, you know, it's like now all of a sudden everybody has a fucking dress on, on a fucking cover of a magazine. Yep. So it's like, he was kind of doing a lot of things and getting a lot of shit for them that eight, 10 years later are sort of like culturally celebrated. Yeah. No. And it's, I think that's the thing with the selfies. Like, we do it mindlessly, but in reality, like this is us kind of experimenting, questioning what is the true nature of the self? Like, is it something yeah. that I determine if I'm the one taking the picture? But then what about the person who, the audience, what is their perception of myself? Am I just creating a self that's going to resonate with what I, what I think people are going to like, my viewers, people who follow me? Um, and again, like this is when you see that Wildean kind of camp sensibility that, you know, is artifice, is what's fake, what's empty. What's and, most kind of like, and with a deadpanness about like those pictures, you know, those pictures of him like shirtless and it's just like, <laughs> he just looks like haggard and like, well, that's the fun part that it's like, he's not even trying to be sexy. He's yes. just like, look, I took a shirtless picture. I didn't even try to look good. So like, again, that itself is a commentary on what is considered attractive. What is sexy? Yeah. You know? um, but no, so then like, this is when I start to get into like some weird conspiratorial stuff, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, I see a little bit of a thread of like occult, weird, esoteric, spiritual stuff going on uh, in all of his work. And I first noted it when he was in general hospital with his mom, his mom was in the episode with him. Really? Yeah, and she was an astrologer and she was reading his fortune. I was like, okay, that's cute. Cause like, you know, these bored housewives watch soaps and you know, they like astrology. Yeah. But then I started to see other things. So like he did a lot with Marina Abramovich, who's known, I mean, people say that she like dabbles in like occult kind of rituals. But again, it's like the supreme support uh, performance artist who again calls into question what is true from what is false. Like, and I think the connection you see there is like, does our culture worship what is false, what is empty, what is uh, pure appearance without substance? 
Um, then you see him doing the, he did the drag photo shoot with Terry Richardson, who also is like, people say those weird like sex ritual kind of stuff with minors. Yeah. Um, he did this music video that had like a satanic ritual going on. Um, so I, I think like drawing this all together, um, again, it's like, do we worship? Do we create these rituals out of falsehood, out of these idols that again, hold no substance that ultimately drive us to our own demise, to our own destruction? Um, and I like, I think about this when I see what's going on with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, because his name keeps coming up. Um, and it's like these, um, these public- because he, because, because he saw her- uh, They say that she cheated on Johnny with James Franco oh. and that if it's true, then like he would have seen her black eye, but he didn't. I, I mean, I kind of follow this, but I think the fact that they're publicizing this whole trial and that James Franco's name is coming up. It's like the public spectacle as some type of ritual, as some kind of, um, I don't know, a liturgy in a sense. And the fact that Franco's coming up, it's like, and it makes me think of Wilde that like people were so fascinated with him and then they punish him publicly, they humiliate him, which becomes a ritual in itself, a sacrifice even. But um, again, like the ritual, the spectacle exposes that where people's hearts lie, like exposes that we're so obsessed with the image with the artifice with you know to the fact that like we'll give ourselves completely to something that's empty that means nothing that, yeah i mean the giant you know, Depp heard thing absolutely means nothing yeah <laughs> and everyone's transfixed by it so again it's like it's this kind of ritualistic thing that shows us like what do we really worship like what where do our hearts lie what are our commitments i don't know hmm. yeah i'm still working on it but i think there's definitely something there no i mean like and if you know, even if it's not, uh, you know, because it's like what's authentic and what's an idea, mm. and it's like he definitely did that on purpose. Yeah. Over a period of time, being like, I'm gonna pepper this occult interest, and in. and perhaps it is like Marina Abramovic, and um, it's like you don't even have to be a. a it's like Marina Abramovic doesn't have to practice something. Yeah, to no. make, make a piece of art about it. Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, you know, I think about a lot as an, as an actor, but I don't think that way in my, in my life. I mean, yeah. I guess I do, I guess we all do subconsciously. We all experience, sure. we all play with dress and, um, style and whatever to try to coordinate some public image, but I don't, I don't think I would, it's not in me to makes some interest I have into a performance art commenting on my life. I'd, I'd probably just put it into my work, which, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like with this, I, I mean, I also think there's this kind of sacrificial theme with James Dean, James Dean's whole trajectory. The fact that he is, again, it's like the God Adonis that he's this beautiful young male gets everyone's attention. Um, but has to be sacrificed before he gets old because then the cult of youth, like then, you know, there's nothing interesting anymore. And that like, that was Oscar Wilde's obsession when he wrote Dorian Gray. Yeah, totally. and he knew that like how destructive it was. He knew that like Dorian was going to have to die at some point if he didn't accept his aging. Mm. Um, but yeah, like the, the movie that James Franco did about Dean was, I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. I found it interesting how he picked up on the whole daddy issue thing that like his whole career was him crying out for his father's attention. And that even like the sexual relationships with other guys, like you see that fatherly dynamic there. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's like, I think when people are like, what's your daddy issue? It's like, it's not literally about your father. 
it's about your inability to father yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, because to truly let go of the father and find that within yourself, that, that means you have to take full responsibility for yourself. Yeah. So the neurotic fissure that people experience and they, they have that kind of behavior, they just can't accept full adulthood because accepting full adulthood means that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So, or part of, part of it is. And that you're, but, you're, yeah. You're but also that you die in like being a father is like you're giving to other people without expecting yes. them to like gratify you, which is a death in itself. So like yes. fatherhood, accepting your own fatherhood is a preparation for death or an acceptance of death in, in a way. Yeah. What did you think of the movie, the Franco? Movie? Oh God, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, I saw it when I was a teenager and I was just like, yeah. I, mean, I love James Dean. I love James Franco. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, been it's like a it's like a mediocre movie. It's very interesting. Yeah, There's lots of interesting things going on, and his performance is good, quite interesting in it. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I I learned a lot just about the whole acting world during those times, like the method acting and all that. Yeah. Well, I was just re- yeah. I I'm upset. I'm obsessed with it, and um, you know, uh, I just reread a book called Method Actors, and then I. I listened to that podcast mm-hmm. that I had a lot of issues with. Um, <laughs> yeah. So no, but I think, yeah, like in addition to the daddy stuff with like, I don't know if this is true, but I heard Marlon Brando would put cigarette out, cigarettes out in his, like in his arm or something, which is like super symbolic and Freudian. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that's, I hope that happened. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But Brando was another type of, um, you know, he basically experienced an unparalleled uh, level of fame mm-hmm. and influence. Like, I, I think the sexual revolution happened because of Marlon Brando. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, okay. So, uh, you know, the film film and play, Streetcar Named Desire? Yes. Uh, the play happened in 1947 and the film was in 1951. Mm-hmm. And um, in that film... Well, he revolution first off, he revolutionized acting with that film. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying he's my favorite actor, the greatest actor that ever lived, but he was a very unique person. And um he revolutionized acting with that film and brought like male he feminized men in a way with his vulnerability in that film on a mass scale that hadn't been present before. And also in that film, that's the film that popularized the t shirt. Oh, okay. Like I, I think the sexual shockwave that he created in the world with his with with the t-shirt and his sensual masculinity I think that eventually led to the sexual revolution because there, there was no other figure or person that had there's no other singular person that had that type of influence even Marilyn Monroe was even mm-hmm. though she was very very famous and a huge sexual icon it was still like a, a stand it was she was still like a feminine standard so mm-hmm. because brando was the first one to start crossing the gender line yeah um that's really interesting i never really read into brando in that way or the t-shirt but i think that like going back to the selfie phenomenon on instagram like i find the fact that like that men post selfies especially like sexually charged ones like we just take it for granted to be normal, but like that's really not a normal thing historically that men want to be gazed upon. Again, the spectacle that men want to, you know, that's typically a, a feminine trait, but like. And the, the act of 
framing yourself in that way and the act of being seen in that way, I'm like, you don't think it's, it's interesting that people do a lot of bisexually responsive things, but don't see it that way. And I'm like, that's pretty gay. I don't know. Well, yeah, because the whole idea that you are going to post an image of yourself that's supposed to be erotically charged or get sexual attention. Again, it's this idea that men are the ones who look and women are looked at and like prepare themselves to be looked at, want to be looked at. So like the fact that you're posting a picture to be looked at is implying you want men to look at you because I mean, sure, of course, nowadays women will look at those pictures and like them and comment, whatever, but ooh, there's this sexually fluid thing going on that again, like, ooh, that's interesting that you think that that's Brando though. I never placed that. I think that's like, it's almost totally him. <laughs> uh, mm. But the, the, but the, the posting the, erotic selfies and stuff it's like i find that there's two reactions happening with it it's like either overstating the um damn what did you just say i forget i forget sorry no that like you're implying that you want men to look at you because typically it's men who look and women who are looked at yeah it's like and then i think the cultural reaction to that is like either oversize overemphasizing the men looking at you in this sort of like very in the way that homosexuality has become uh like such a, a sexual like spectacle in not just in homosexual culture but in mainstream culture too or the underemphasizing where no one acknowledges that it's sort mm -hmm. of bisexual and i i think everyone would be healthier if we were somewhere in the middle <laughs> yeah um, but so speaking of bisexuality then i think there's also like jameson also had this uh fascination with beautiful goddess-like women but also maternal figures because you see yeah. so like the Marilyn thing uh Pierre Angeli who I guess he tried to marry um and then he was close with Liz Taylor which I think was more of a maternal kind of bond. yeah she's like you know she's like an earth but Marilyn too I mean they all had this like let me look at what Pierre Angeli looks like I think it's just like a Venus archetype like Adonis and wasn't that how it is Adonis and Venus are together I don't know but all of those women share a sort of like they're all very earth goddess like yeah and, um, yeah okay and you know just like they all have like huge bosoms they're all kind of, you know and it, it it i can i just have an image of him like laying on all of their bosoms <laughs> or something like, like a pieta yeah. almost like, yeah i can see and, uh, and you know i i forget what his relationship with his mother was like but um well, she died. No, so she slept with um, her. His dad was like, how oh should I put it? She slept with some guy who wasn't her husband. Hmm. And that's how James was born. And then she didn't want to be publicly shamed. So she asked the husband to raise him as her own, as his own. Then she died young. And he like pretended to be the father, but really was not affectionate at all. Because he's like, this isn't my son. And that's when he kind of starts losing it, when the dad tells him, like, I'm not your dad. And then yeah. I think it's an interesting, I think that's a, you know, and I think, I think he had sex with women too. I mean, yeah, I think sure. it was, um, you know, a lot of people think he was gay, but I'm just mm. like, relax. Um, but uh, his relationship with women, I noticed this again with Dorian Gray, because Dorian seems like a kind of gay guy. And like, yeah. what's his name? Lord, whoever is like fascinated with him. But he has this relationship with Sybil Dane, who like the relationship is super childish. So it's like, it, it makes me wonder, like, is he attracted to true women? 
because when it comes to adult women, I think he has more of the maternal dynamic, like with Liz Taylor, but with Pierre Anneli, who's like still a girl, and this pretty little spicy girl, it's like, they're still kids. Um, and then the fact that in Dorian Gray, that her name is Sybil Vane, I read, I think it was Pallia who said something about like, the fact that his attraction to her has to do with his own vanity, that it's not a fully formed adult heterosexual attraction. It's like, basically, it's an attraction to himself. Yeah, which a reflection is, of his own beauty. Yeah, so like you, I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of these archetypes going on in his life, but super driven by the tension with the mother and the father. No, and he was like, you know, yeah, I think he was looking at Brando in this sort of like fatherly or bro or older brotherly way, and then you have Salminio looking at James Dean like that, and it's it's, it's interesting. Yeah, the unresolved father dynamic, also the narcissism, yes. um, you know, within how these relationships manifest, like. A lot of, especially I think in his case, like his attraction to men, perhaps having to do with like this desire to find himself or to like, I don't yeah. know, seeing himself in these men. Um, but I think again, so like you see towards the end of his life, he's ra he's doing all this car racing, this, this risky behavior. Um, and you see this fascination with death. Um, similar to Franco in the, I think like, because Franco's willing to go as far as like, you know, creating these public scandals, destroying his career for the sake of his performance art. Whereas with James Dean, willing to die to, again, to like hold on to the cult of youth, his yeah, beauty. In this book I just read, they were like, he he let go of the reins of his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure he was, you know, very alcoholic and drugs and all that was going on. Yeah, and it just makes me think with Franco, like his, again, this postmodern commentary on the absurdity of our culture of what we consider to be true or valuable. Um, like if everything is absurd, if everything is empty, then like, why, why live? Like, why not just go all the way to the fringes until you die? Yeah. There's no real substance to our existence, to ourself, hmm. you know? Um, yeah. A lot of parallels. I'm curious to see what's going to happen to Franco's career. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, it's basically been, I worked with him after that happened because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't like fire him from the deuce because mm -hmm. it was like what the show was about. So uh, I worked with him after that happened and, you know, but then after the deuce, he, he hasn't really done anything since. And again, um, you know, I hope he's able to, because I think, you know, people, whether he was doing it as a, as performance art or whether it just happened, um, you know, it's like people have errors in judgment and he paid for it. He yeah. literally, like he literally paid for it. <laughs> so I, I would, you know, love to see work from him again. And he's, he's always been a huge inspiration to me and I loved working with him. What would you say your favorite movie or TV show of his is? Definitely. Yeah. Of, of all of his stuff. I just loved, I loved the world. I, I loved the dynamics he had with other people. I love that he was playing twins. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so that, that was my favorite, but mm -hmm. what film? I don't know. I don't know about film, probably 127 hours. Yeah. It's hard. That's hard to pick. Um, I feel like I connected most with Howell. Howell. Yeah. That's the one about Alan Gibbs. Oh, Howell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, I hate Allen Ginsberg. I really don't like him. Mm -hmm. But I think Franco's portrayal of him was interesting. The other one we didn't mention is I Am Michael, which doesn't oh, yeah. 
I am Michael. I mean, there's a lot to be said because that movie really depicts um, what I so like this horseshoe theory about um, traditional sexuality and queer theory. So like this idea that the normal sexual orientation narrative is like at the top of the horseshoe. It's like everyone has their category and everything's nice and simple and clean cut. Whereas like, again, the fringes, you have this traditional, I guess we can say heteronormative view that like sex is meant to be procreative, that blah, 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 blah. Um, and then on the other end, total fluidity that everything's up in the air, which is kind of queer theory. And you see that like he starts out as this queer theorist and all his gay friends are like, oh, just be a normal gay like us. And he's like, no, like all these things that I'm reading. And then he goes all the way around and becomes like a fundamentalist and goes to conversion therapy. And it makes you see how there's something very religious about um, this postmodern kind of perspective about queer theory. Like you don't want to be... It's this disillusionment with what's with what's considered normal for its own sake and this fascination with again like what's beyond something that's mystical something that's mysterious and like his path from queer theory to evangelicalism like you see that it, he's not going in a different direction like it's all very much aligned because again it's this fascination with what's abnormal what's mysterious um what's against the status quo um i don't know i don't think it gets enough attention it's really it's like much better than these um Movies like Boy Erased that are just like, oh, oh yeah. Mormon boy who was not accepted by his parents. And yeah. then I accepted myself. It's like, this shows no nuance. Like it doesn't, yeah, there's no, um, it pushes the standard narrative, which is boring. Yeah, there's no journey. Um, no. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that being said, is there anything else you wanted to say about your movie and the and with, about James Dean and all that? Uh, just one more thought on Franco. I did, I have seen a couple of those Faulkner adaptations okay. that he's done. And, I think that, you know, it's like with me making, I make tons of shit based on Tennessee Williams stuff. And I'm just like, oh, you're obsessed with Faulkner and you want to make movies about it. And it's very, Faulkner is very, very, it's a very different obsession than some of the other things you're obsessed with. Yeah. So I, don't know, I admire that. But uh, my movie. Uh, yeah, I'm going to premiere it at the Adult Film and Theater Festival in Bushwick. Follow adultfilm.nyc and come to the festival. Awesome. Anything else you want to plug before we wrap up? That's it. Cool. Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on. Thanks. This was a fun time. Thank you. Awesome.